This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Ah, we love you, Elon Musk. He is once again uh, breaking the biggest story in the world. But somehow, it's not the number one story in the world. Yeah, the mainstream media are ignoring the Twitter files yet again as we receive all kinds of proof and confirmation that the FBI was colluding with big tech, our government colluding with big tech to get Joe Biden elected in 2020 and who knows what else. This is huge. We have the proof, thanks to Elon Musk and some very brave journalists. But you know what the media are focusing on right now? Uh, this guy losing his Twitter account. Yeah, I don't know who he is. I don't care who he is. He works at CNN, and uh, he got booted off of Twitter. It happens. So what? Everybody in the mainstream media is so upset that <laughs> this happened to this guy, and they're ignoring the fact that the FBI and other agencies were colluding with big tech to get Joe Biden elected. It happened. We have the evidence. Thank you to uh, Elon Musk, and thank you also to this brave team of journalists he's assembled. Matt Taibbi, Barry Weiss, Michael Schellenberger, and of course, Elon Musk. So, uh, you know how all this happened, right? Uh, Elon Musk, he buys Twitter. It was a very woke company against Trump, against free speech. He has all the emails. He's going through the emails and through these uh, fine journalists telling the world what Twitter was up to with the FBI and other branches of government, potentially, and also agencies throughout the government and the private sector. The FBI was working with Twitter and it's creepy and it's wrong. The FBI is supposed to be focused on Crimes, right? Serious crimes, bank robbery, child porn, financial crimes. And when it comes to elections, they, they do have a role. And it sounds actually something like this. What you're about to hear is what the FBI traditionally should be focused on, is focused on traditionally, and should be focused on in the future. The FBI is charged with protecting the rights of all Americans, including their right to vote. While the responsibility to ensure a fair election process lies primarily at the state and local level, the FBI takes allegations of election-related violations of federal law seriously. The FBI investigates federal election crimes that generally fall into three categories, campaign finance crimes, voter ballot fraud, and civil rights violations. The FBI Washington Field Office works with our state and federal partners to engage with other law enforcement partners and provide resources about the FBI's role in elections. All right, not the most exciting guy in the world and not the most exciting information in the world, except he was not telling the whole story. It was far more interesting and dangerous than that. They weren't working with federal law enforcement partners. They were working with, yeah, big tech and almost the entire government. 
colluding together, cooperating, the Stanford University, think tanks, Department of Homeland Security, um, all working together to shape the Internet against Trump. I think it happened. You can, you, you, we, we were connecting the dots. Now, I'm upfront about my allegiance to Donald Trump. I voted for him in 20, uh, and I thought he was a great president, and I'd like to see him win in 24. I can do that. I think most Americans should be able to do that. If you work for the federal government, though, you're not supposed to do that, right? You can't come out and say who you're for. Like a rank-and-file FBI agent like uh, this guy, Elvis Chan. I understand he's not supposed to talk about who he's for politically, right? We, we shouldn't have that from rank-and-file agents. But he works at the FBI, and if you haven't noticed, the FBI has gone off the deep end in the past couple of years. And the culture, it sounds something like this. A person who sees moral equivalence in Charlottesville, who talks about and treats women like they're pieces of meat, who lies constantly about matters big and small and insists the American people believe it, that person's not fit to be president of the United States on moral grounds. Do you think the president is a threat? Is that what that means? I think it's entirely possible. I think that's one of the reasons why we opened the case against him. The president himself might, in fact, be a threat to the United States national security. Without exaggeration, President Trump's counterintelligence vulnerabilities are exponentially greater than any president in modern history. So do you think the president is a national security threat? I do. It's really one of the more painful aspects of this entire two years. I mean, the president's attacks and assaults are one thing, but this is my institution. This is my Justice Department betraying us. Her Justice Department. What about our Justice Department? All right. Uh, I know those are all ex-FBI officials, top FBI officials, uh, but they didn't start thinking that the day they left the FBI. Obviously, this was their attitude while they had those big jobs at the Bureau and I wonder how this affected rank-and-file agents like uh, Special Agent Chan. More on him in a moment. Um, and what about the media, what they've been saying for years and years and years, especially around Trump in 15, 16, 17, 18, and beyond? Breaking news in the Russia investigation dominates the program tonight and reaches directly into the president's inner circle. We are covering the breaking news that Bob Mueller, the special counsel investigating ties between Donald Trump's campaign and Russia. We've got breaking news on MSNBC, the first indictments in the Robert Mueller investigation. We have breaking news about special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation into possible Russian meddling in the 2016 election. Let's begin with the breaking news on the Russia investigation. Much more on our breaking news of federal grand approving the first charges in the Mueller investigation. All right, so everybody was yelling their heads off with that kind of stuff. In the fine print, it's been lost that there was no conspiracy, no collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russians. Mueller, it's in black and white. Uh, the investigation did not establish that members of the Trump campaign conspired to coordinate with the Russian government in its election interference activities. And oh, by the way, those election interference activities that took place in 14, 15, and 16, you know how much they cost? How much did the Russians actually spend? It's in the Mueller report. $100,000 over three years. That's not a lot of money, and you can't swing an election that way. But, uh, you know, the Russian story, it sounds fantastic. Oh, my goodness. All that, all that smoke. There must be some fire. So... 
Russia continues to be used as a pretext for the deep state to get Trump. In this case, for the FBI to say, we are so concerned about Russia interference in our elections. Russian malign influence, use of permissive social media platforms. These kinds of warnings go out to everybody, including their own agents. And there's uh, Mr. Chan, Special Agent Elvis Chan, once again. Um, he is probably a smart guy, though. He's been at the Bureau for 16 years. And he knows this Russia stuff is uh, not what it's all about. Uh, but that's the story that they're sticking to. So listen to how he, um, he describes his job. I'm used to working Russian hackers, right? right? And so we did the indictment of the FSB officers for the Yahoo hack. Little did I know that all of a sudden the Russians would be, you know, working on the election stuff. It's been really, uh, is fun too strong a word? It's, it's been really fun interesting and fun. A lot of fun fighting the Russians. If he was really fighting the Russians, he wouldn't be having fun. It wasn't fun during the Cold War. He's having fun because Special Agent Chan, he's in charge of the San Francisco office, and uh, he's the liaison between the government and big tech, having meetings with techies about stifling content on Twitter. Content from genuine Americans who have genuine rights to say whatever the hell they want on social media. All right, so again, uh, the information I'm about to show you is from these great journalists uh, authorized by Elon Musk, Matt Taibbi, Barry Weiss, Michael Schellenberger, uh, commissioned, I guess, by Elon Musk. They've shown these guys everything they have so far, internal communications. And like, here's one, I believe it's from Elvis Chan, the FBI special agent in charge in San Francisco to Twitter. FBI San Francisco is notifying you of the below accounts, which may potentially constitute violations of Twitter's terms of service. How about that? The FBI is pointing out, if you ran a business, would you want the FBI telling you that, hey, I think these customers are in violation of something? And they provided a list. Many, many names, many, many Twitter accounts. I think we have that next. Uh, yes, these are just some. Hundreds maybe even thousands of accounts. Uh, what did Twitter want? They wanted any, I'm sorry, the FBI wanted any action or inaction deemed appropriate within Twitter policy. Best regards, some guy named Fred, who worked at the FBI in San Francisco, one of the colleagues, I should say, of uh, Special Agent Chan. Next, Special Agent Chan's boss, the FBI's National Election Command Post, has been made aware of tweets by certain accounts that may warrant additional action due to the accounts being utilized to spread misinformation about the upcoming election. And uh, here's what they uh, thought about these accounts. Maybe they violate uh, Twitter's terms of service. They asked the FBI that these accounts be preserved, potentially for what, further prosecution? The FBI also wanted to know... Um, where are these guys? Can you tell us geo, ge geographically where they are? And there were many, many names provided by the FBI. We want these people checked out. This is wrong. This is not what the FBI should be doing. Do you think so? Next, please. Uh, Twitter folks, this is, from, this is from Chan to 
Twitter uh, executives. Please see below list of Twitter accounts which we believe are violating your terms of service by disseminating false information about the time, place, and manner of the upcoming elections. Again, another list is provided. And it's signed. Regards, Elvis, your friendly assistant special agent in charge, San Francisco. By the way, his pronouns are he, him, and his. Uh, Twitter writes right back and says, Hi, Elvis. Thank you for your patience. Our team has, a, has assessed the accounts that you flagged, and here's what they did to some of them. Some were permanently suspended. Others were temporarily suspended, and other tweets were bounced, which I think is internal code there for shadow ban. Now, this is something else. Uh, there are a couple of people working inside Twitter. One used to work for the FBI, this fellow named Baker. He receives an email from a colleague. Uh, the colleague just came from a meeting with the FBI. I explicitly asked if there were any impediments with the ability of the government to share classified information or relevant information with industry. Okay. And what was the response to that? FBI was adamant that no impediments to information sharing exist. I wonder if these people had classified clearance, right? Don't you have to get clearance, secret clearance, top secret clearance? Apparently not. And Special Agent Elvis Chan was pretty cavalier in telling the world, yeah, we give these guys briefings and we don't care who they are. With certain uh, social media companies and uh, platforms, we are providing them with classified briefings on the specific threat actors that may be on their platforms. We're also sharing uh, indicators of compromise, TTPs, you know, tools, tactics, and, and processes that mm -hmm. can help them safeguard their platforms. Uh, I don't think uh, we as a country authorize secrets to be shared with uh, big tech geeks in Silicon Valley. Whatever. Uh, the media continues to give the FBI cover, right? Because the elections of 2020, which I think inherently because this is the first time we did mail-in balloting on that scale, they couldn't have been the best elections we ever had, could they? The November 2020 election in Pennsylvania, like every election since, was free, fair, and secure. The 2020 election was fair, that the votes were counted accurately. Everything we've seen, the 2020 election was as free, fair, secure, accurate as any election we've had. And the FBI concurred. The election process itself is as safe as it's ever been, and even more so with all of the different protections we have in place around the ballots themselves, around the ballot counting equipment, around the uh, voter registration databases. FBI Special Agent Elvis Chan says the agency is always looking at what has happened in the past and applying it to the future. He says a lengthy review has determined that the 2020 election was the most secure in the nation's history. Like for 2020, we knew specifically the incidents that happened on a county by county level because there were so few of them. I could count them on one hand. Special Agent Chan says federal agencies have their eye on misinformation and election lies that often spread through social media. He says federal law enforcement agencies are sharing data with those social media platforms with the aim of combating election misinformation with the truth. People are trying to dispel the disinformation and misinformation that is going on, that there are things that are happening to the election. We don't see any credible threats at this point. That's not to say we're not monitoring them, because we are. Oh, yeah, you're monitoring. You're monitoring for jokes they don't like. Jokes.
They're actually flagging jokes, internet memes. The FBI is so out of its lane on this one. Our FBI meddling in elections in cahoots with academia, subcontractors, other parts of the government, DHS, DNI. This is wrong. And so far, so far, they've gotten away with it. More when I come back. We're joined now by Robert Govea. He is the host of Watching the Watchers. He's a criminal defense attorney. And boy, does he do some deep dives into uh, depositions, stuff that's pretty hard to read. But for him, it's a cinch. He's such a skilled lawyer. Robert, welcome to uh, Newsmax. How are you? Good, Greg. Thank you so much for having me tonight. And by the way, let's just show a little bit about what you do, because it's very impressive. You know your stuff, and uh, it's something to behold. Take a look, everybody. The Twitter files released. Elon Musk promised this would happen for a long time, and finally it has happened. Before we read that, let's learn a little bit more about who this guy is, because he is somebody who is not in favor of, let's say, neutral political ideologies. Multiple high-level sources confirmed its meeting. No, 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 no. We don't shadow ban. It was a visibility filter. Love that. This court grounded authorization of the deposition on Elvis Chan based on statements that he allegedly made to Meta. Uh, Robert Govea, in many ways, has been ahead of this story, even ahead of Elon Musk, I might say. Mr. Govea, welcome again. Uh, what do you make of the latest Twitter file drop? Well, Greg, I'm outraged. I've been outraged for a long time. You know, a lot of what we've seen, I think, is not too much of a giant surprise for many of us who've been following this for some time. I mean, right after 2016, we saw all of the construction of the election integrity projects from all of the social media companies, everybody reoriented themselves. The entire basically big tech platforms everywhere across this country decided they didn't want anything to happen like 2016 ever again. So we saw all sorts of new policies roll out. We kind of had suspicions and suspected that the FBI maybe have been involved. We know that people like Jen Psaki were, were openly admitting to America that they were flagging posts and the FBI was sort of working on some of this stuff. I mean, misinformation was the, the word of the, of the year. And if you lived on Twitter, you also knew this stuff was going on. So we've all sort of suspected it. We've read the depositions, the transcripts, and, and seen a lot of it. But to see in these most recent drops, you know, Twitter files six and a lot of what you just talked about was sort of seeing the veil pulled back. I mean, you can see the emails now. You can see the level of camaraderie that existed and the frequency of the communications between the real, you know, real important people like Elvis Chan and like Yoel Roth. They were interfacing very regularly. They were censoring Americans and they were, you know, creating command posts. And, you know, in my opinion, free speech is the key issue. Nothing else works without that. And the convenience of being able to label anything misinformation or disinformation gives the tools to the federal government and to these big tech platforms working together in cahoots to you know, change the whole discourse of the entire country. And so I'm upset about it. You know, I'm very grateful that we're able to see it. You know, I, I am I'm shocked that it took somebody $44 billion to buy the entire company in order for us to see this level of nefariousness. But I'm glad that it's here and I'm glad that we're able to 
dive through it together. Having said all that, you know, it's are you frustrated? I'm a little bit frustrated that it's not a bigger story. And part of that, quite frankly, might even be on Elon. I mean, these things come at odd hours, you know, Twitter threads, which are hard to read. I feel like he should be, you know, on in Times Square holding a press conference or he could do anything. He could rent any form in, in the world uh, because this is, you know, nitnoid, granular stuff. And it's very easy, number one, to kind of get lost and number two, to ignore it because, well, the mainstream media is ignoring it. That's a great point. And I also have that same concern. You know, I, I'm worried that it may not be able to permeate outside of the Twitter bubble. Right. On Twitter, if you're on Twitter and if you're in this social media sort of alternative, you know, a space where you're into this into this social media sort of plugged in on a daily basis, it's a very big story. But if you, you know, exit outside of that bubble and you, you know, meander over to the New York Times or the Washington Post or any of these other entities, you know, a big thing that they they're focusing on today is not necessarily about any of this news that's broken. It's about Elon banning their journos, or it's about I saw another headline. You know, Elon may have been on, you know, on some sort of prescription or something. Yeah. Right? It's not even about the reality of what is being reported, which I think is one of the most important stories of our time. And every single Republican should be standing out there, right, supporting Elon from the rooftop. Every single senator, every single House representative, all these people running for office, right? Where is the demands for accountability? Elon, I, and I agree, the Friday night drops are a little bit weird. Why is it on a Friday night? Why are we sort of like tucking this in the corner. It's, it's some, sometimes feels like that. But he, you know, he's, he's, he's one guy. I'd love to see a bunch of Republicans jump in and start demanding some real action on this stuff. All right. And again, just broadly, uh, the FBI, we have kind of caught them uh, colluding with big techs, especially Twitter. Um, and it seems like they're using Russia as a pretext for them to have this relationship and dismiss, disparage, delete any views that the FBI might have a problem with that they should have absolutely no opinion on. Things about curing ballots in Pennsylvania. Stay out of it. I would like to ask you this real quick. You, uh, you've you been through this deposition, 300 or so pages of uh, uh, Elvis Chan, the, the special agent in charge there in San Francisco. Uh, you went through this. You've seen the emails now. Is he deceiving anybody? Do you do you think he's been deceptive based on everything you've seen? It's a great question. And something that I've been thinking a lot about and talking a lot about on our channel is what to do about this. And you're sort of asking a question, you know, where does this go? Is he intentionally deceptive? What type of recourse is there? There is a, is a U.S. statute. It's 18 U.S. Code 241, which is conspiracy against rights. And, you know, it, it talks a lot about these issues. It talks about multiple people conspiring to take away or to oppress a person's constitutional rights that are granted to us as citizens of this country. There's a benefit. You get the protection of the First Amendment. And if there's a conspiracy here, you know, if however you want to splice that, right, if there's collusion between either uh, the FBI and Twitter and however you want to splice that, I think that if you zoom out far enough, I don't know if you can get Elvis Chan in particular, right? He's one, I think, small piece yeah, yeah. Of, of a much bigger pie. But if you assemble it all, where does that go? Well, do me a favor. Stick around because I have a little moment here where I think even he seems to be admitting that it's all a joke and all a ruse to really help Biden and hurt Trump. We'll be right back. Thanks, Robert.
I'm used to working Russian hackers, right? right? And so we did the indictment of the FSB officers for the Yahoo hack. Little did I know that all of a sudden the Russians would be, you know, working on the election stuff. It, it's been really, uh, I, is fun too strong a word? It's, it's been really fun interesting and fun. Um, he's laughing about fighting the Russians. And that's where I kind of feel it's a tell, Robert, uh, that he's, he knows that that's a pretext. He's not worried about Russia every day. He's worried about, you know, Republicans, MAGA, other things that the FBI, we know their culture is anti-Trump. It is. And it's been that way for a long time. You know, the FBI has felt very compromised to me all the way going back to 2016 when there was the Trump-Russia collusion saga where a lot of this originated. There was in the Twitter files, you remember the name Jim Baker. James Baker was the former counsel, general counsel to the FBI. And then he left the FBI, was also working at Twitter. And, you know, there's, there's just this cozy relationship between all of these different agents. And if you sort of assemble it all, you know, if you sort of, it's the totality of all the circumstances. If you take a look at what every single one of these FBI agents was doing over the course of a long period of time, they used the 2016 saga. Jim Baker was at the FBI meeting with Michael Sussman to discuss all of that. It was all the Trump PP tape, the fake hoax that they tried to sell to the American people. And, you know, they, that was where the foundation started. They got to build the election integrity projects on the back of that. The relationship between the FBI and the big tech companies was just able to mature over the years as they said, you know, we should be working with our private enterprise partners. You know, the FBI almost cold outreaching to these companies to say, let's get better connected. And I never, you know, if we, we went through the Twitter files here tonight and it was many of these tweets were jokes. There were people yeah. saying, you know, you know, vote on this day or make, you know, just irrelevant jokes. And so the idea that the FBI needs all of that power to protect us from these dangerous Russians is basically laughable. And the, the, the alternative explanation is that they're doing it because it gives them power. It gives them control that they can use for their own ends. You know that old saying, it was like an Abbott and Costello movies, you don't have to make a federal case out of it, which, oh, by the way, nobody says that anymore because everybody tries to make a federal case out of everything. I mean, People 200 years ago were saying the elections on Wednesday, the elections on Monday. Ha ha ha. There is a little bit of mischief in politics. I would call that mild, low grade mischief. You mentioned the Baker email. Baker, the ex FBI lawyer who's working at Twitter weirdly, and he gets an email from a colleague uh, about her meeting with the FBI. I explicitly asked if there were any impediments with the ability of the government to share classified information or relevant information with industry. Uh, FBI was adamant that no impediments to information sharing exist. And then we have uh, Elvis Chan himself saying out loud, I was giving them classified briefings all the time. Uh, I think this has got to be, I mean, there are a million rules and procedures about classified documents. Just ask Donald Trump. And for them to admit this, uh, I think this is a big deal right here. Uh, thoughts? I agree completely with that. There's a concept called state action. And the idea is, you know, in general, when you read the First Amendment, it says Congress shall make no law. Okay. So we say, okay, it's the government. The government is the actor. If the government as the state actor is doing something, then the government is restrained from infringing on our rights. The Constitution says the government can't do these things. We retain the rest of those rights. Free speech. 
But in this case, the, the government was putting so much pressure on Twitter, right? The Department of Homeland Security, the FBI, they go and they meet with, you know, Yoel Roth and they meet with Vijay Agati and they meet with you know, the Twitter executives over there. And they put the strong arm of the government down on the back of Twitter, right? They send them letters. They send them emails. We've identified these things for you. Please remove them. We're also sharing with you classified information, which is you know, within the purview of the federal government. That's not Twitter's purview or jurisdiction. And so the idea that Twitter would be able to turn around and reject the FBI or reject the Department of Homeland Security or the White House or the Office of the Director of National Intelligence and say, no, we don't think this is disinformation or misinformation. We're good is ludicrous, right? And this, what this means is that the FBI has become, or, or Twitter essentially has become through the FBI, a state actor. The, the Twitter company is acting like an extension or a subsidiary, to use Matt Taibbi's words, of the federal government. And when they're doing that, that implicates our rights. And so Twitter is now sort of you know, acting as an extension of the government and they're not allowed to do that. And I think that opens up a whole you know, possibility of, recourse for American citizens or at least in Congress. And I'm hoping that somebody does something. I will say this, though. Big tech, they seem like a very receptive audience to the FBI, to they were they were hearing things they wanted to hear because the bias against uh, Trump and Republicans is as intense in San Francisco, if not more so than it is inside the Beltway. So I have a feeling there was a great deal of awareness. I mean, and, and also, I mean, collegiality. I mean, uh, they were sending yeah. each other birthday wishes and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we'll see what happens next. And what will happen next? Is this the last Twitter dump? Actually, I think they indi indicated there's more to come. Uh, I really do hope they work on the presentation. Uh, <laughs> no more, you know, Monday morning would be better. Can I ask yes. you how you became so passionate and, um, you know, you're so motivated, uh, young man, uh, how did, how did you um, get your inspiration? Well, like many in your audience, like you, like many people in this space, I started to see what was happening and I got outraged about it. I am uh, a small law firm owner in Scottsdale, Arizona. We do criminal defense work. We help good people charged with crimes, find safety, clarity, and hope. And we, we want to hope make the government accountable. We want them to preserve the presumption of innocence and we adhere to the beyond a reasonable doubt standard and all of these things. When COVID hit, I saw what was happening and I was absolutely outraged. And so I was doing public speaking. I was going around to different drug and alcohol treatment centers and giving these public talks and they locked us all down. They locked everybody in their homes. It wrecked the entire uh, you know, industry, so to speak. It, a lot of people who are already suffering suffered a lot more, and I just got outraged. And so I decided to start speaking out about some of these things on YouTube. We started talking about these very important issues about the lockdowns and the mandates, and then we started talking about other, you know, criminal justice issues. And unfortunately, you know, there's, there's an endless supply of things to talk about because there is uh, a, lot, a lot that we're learning, and there's a lot to improve upon, and I'm, I'm energized by you know, having conversations about these solutions and talking to people like you. Well, uh, it's a real service. I mean, the F, uh, nobody at CNN, they don't have the bandwidth. They don't have the patience. They don't have the ability. They don't have the curiosity to uh, wade through a 350 page uh, yeah. Uh, deposition and uh, you do it and it's very entertaining and informative as well all right please everybody check them out on uh, rumble you can check them out on youtube and on twitter at robert govea esquire we got the spelling all right there thank you very much thank you very much greg take care you bet we'll be right back
Uh, impeach him? Absolutely. I don't think we have a choice. Uh, dereliction of duty, the border situation. Uh, <laughs> that's what a president's supposed to do. He's supposed to secure the border. It's in the Constitution. Protect the states from an invasion. And that's what's happening right now. Marjorie Taylor Greene, she was the first to step forward and say impeachment is in order for this guy. It totally makes sense, by the way. The impeachment's against Donald Trump for absolutely nothing. This is for something. And, you know, it shouldn't just be Marjorie Taylor Greene and the MAGA crowd. It should be. This is a mainstream issue. Mitt Romney, for once in your life, you know, have some courage. All right? Seriously, stand up. You actually have some clout with Democrats, with rhinos. How can you look at that border and say, this is okay? Yeah, we're not going to impeach Joe Biden. It, come on. All right. You and I, we don't see things quite the same. I remember when you were that greedy fat cat working for Bain Capital. Yes, yes, yes. You and your money-hungry friends. There you are. Um, look. You got all the money you're going to make. You're never going to be president of the United States. Do the right thing and marshal an effort to impeach Joe Biden. You voted to impeach Donald Trump and you're not going to you're not going to try to impeach Joe Biden. Take a look one more time. The border is well, it's it's in, we don't have a border. Joe Biden is oblivious to his responsibilities. Maybe actually he wants this to happen. If Title 42 which I guess is scheduled to expire when? Early next week? If that happens, uh, I'm told that they expect the illegal entries to double and we'll have about a half million or so people coming here illegally every month. Uh, we really won't have a country for much longer. Impeaching Joe Biden, for starters, for starters. And uh, Romney, how about Mitch McConnell, Tillis, Senator Scott, you guys? I mean, what do you say? <laughs> what are you waiting for? What did you run for these offices for if you're not going to take action right now? Be bold. Be creative. The Democrats are. Remember, who's that congresswoman? Cori Bush. Remember, she camped out on the front of uh, the Capitol steps. I can't remember what her beef was, but... I disagreed with her on policy. I disagree with her on everything. But you know what? She's going for it. She's trying new things to get attention. Do something. Even AOC and the rest of them, they go to the border more than Joe Biden. I mean, I don't agree with their agenda, but they're trying new, innovative ways to get attention. Actually, it's pretty pathetic. How about that? What's, what's her name? Rashid Tlaib, always uh, crying, I think, for the cameras. In our bedroom so that when we die, we die together. And no one would live to mourn the loss of another one. Uh, all right. The See, I mean, me they're hamming it up. It's an act. But sometimes this stuff actually works. You don't have to be over the top emotional. Just do something dramatic. How about a delegation going to the White House and insisting to see Joe Biden? You know, it was done once before. Uh, Republicans and some Democrats went to tell uh, Richard Nixon, uh, dude, it's all over. <laughs> I think you should do that with Joe Biden. They might just listen to you. Uh, instead, what do these rhinos do? <laughs> Pick on other rhinos. You have to have quality candidates to win competitive center races. 
our ability to control the primary outcome was quite limited in 22 because of the support of the former president proved to be very decisive in these primaries. Now, hopefully in the next uh, cycle, we'll have quality candidates everywhere and a better outcome. Uh, you know, he's not a leader. He's not even a minority leader. Why doesn't he just get a job at Fox News or maybe even CNN and uh, just analyze, just observe the game and offer your critique of those candidates because uh, that's what you're that's what you do, isn't it? Um, very frustrating, very frustrating indeed. Uh, and that these guys don't defend Donald Trump. This phony, ridiculous thing about the documents, you know, that's still hanging over his head. And the New York Times, inside Mar-a-Lago, where thousands partied near secret files. So Mar-a-Lago is essentially a country club, and people go there, and they eat and drink and like you do at a country club, but they were doing it so close to those classified documents. Well... Every time there's a party at the White House, which is, by the way, <laughs> the party capital of the universe. They have more receptions and parties there. Lynn, uh, what's his name? Uh, Elton John performed. And just think about this. Elton John, uh, is he wearing the glasses and the hat? No, he's kind of subdued these days. All these people are just a few feet away from classified documents. It's really not a big deal. Take a look at this, please. The president ending the year feeling upbeat. Absolutely. And also remember this summer, too, uh, uh, the legislation that was passed, Inflation Reduction Act as well, the number of officials that shared articles about low gas prices, too, coming down. So starting to get some of the uh, uh, economic sort of impact as well that people really feel. But the, no doubt this is a, a positive moment for the president, and they are sort of on a victory ladder. 10.5 uh, million new jobs. The president can save my first two years in office. The economy created 10.5 million jobs. That is huge. The unemployment rate is near a 50-year low. Gas prices are back down. Uh, let's see. What about losing a war? Hmm? What about ripping this country apart when you promise to unify it? What about Hunter? What about the lying? It's amazing. You know, they use the Orwellian. It's Orwellian. They overuse that, but that was Orwellian. Ignoring reality and creating a new one that you like. Impeach Biden. Let's get to work, and we'll be right back. All I can say is that the fake news just doesn't get it, do they? And this is a great example of them just not getting it. So Donald Trump, whether the fake news likes him or not, is a serious candidate for president. He has already declared he is leading polls on the Republican side. He is shown to be many times competitive with Joe Biden should it come to a head-to-head -head contest. So when he comes out with an important detailed policy proposal, as he did yesterday, a digital bill of rights, very substantive, very detailed, spoke straight to camera for six and a half minutes, which is an eternity in politics. There was a lot of stuff in there worthy of discussion, and we went through it all last night in detail. You would think that the media would have to cover something like this. No, it was ignored. Interestingly, um, none of the major evening shows 
had a moment about Donald Trump's detailed policy proposal, the Digital Bill of Rights. Number one, the media, they really don't like policy. They like politics. They like the horse race. They like the game of it all because it's much easier to understand. There's that. And they also hate Trump, but they're fascinated by him. So it's interesting. They talk about him all the time, but they never actually cover him in a substantive, responsible way. Uh, yesterday, by the way, Chuck and Nancy, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, in some bizarre arrangement, went out with CNN to a Chinese restaurant and just for no apparent reason talked to CNN for about an hour. And fascinatingly, they only talked about Trump. 90% of the conversation was about Trump. They don't cover him, but they can't stop talking about him. Uh, take a look. I want to talk about how the two of you navigated working with former President Trump. Because um, <laughs> we had a good time. Was there a good cop, bad cop? He's just inaugurated. This is an historic moment. And I said, Mr. President, that's just not true. And Nancy said something to him about he didn't understand about women. So, what, Chuck was masterful. Well, he was masterful. She set him up so I could go in for the kill. No, but he was masterful. Of the I said, so, Mr. President, you'll own. Will you own the shutdown? Yes, I will. And that was. Oh, thank you very much. What was going through said, your mind? He said he doesn't stand a chance. <laughs> Trump had so intimidated everybody. You could never tell him the truth. You could never go contradict him. Have some Peking duck. It's good. I don't think that we should talk about him while we're eating. <laughs> See? You called Donald Trump, quote, insane. I think there's a need for an intervention there by his family or somebody. You see, they just can't quit him, huh? Uh, totally strange with the Chinese food. I don't get it. I don't know why they did it that way, but... Uh, that's all they talked about. It's all anybody talks about. So the next time somebody says, oh, enough with Donald Trump, he's irrelevant. No, he's not. He's as strong as ever. And I believe getting stronger. Uh, what did CNN talk about yesterday? Well, they talked about Trump and their other favorite topic, January 6th. Yes. As uh, actually this was when was this? This was today as uh, everything is erupting over there. Twitter. Um, and we're learning about the FBI and their role in all this. They were just talking about a report, an Orwellian report, that apparently is going to go out next week from the January 6th committee. No mention of Ashley Babbitt, no mention of the security failures, just more nonsense, more lies. How unfortunate. We have questions, and maybe the next Congress will get them answered. We'll be right back. Thank you very much for watching this show. Appreciate it so much. And uh, to be continued, I'll see you next week, Monday. All the best.